I don't know about all of you, but I suspect that many of us hate it when people nag us to death. We all know the stereotypical approaches to nagging, and it's sometimes portrayed in television shows and even in books and short stories. But I know that I have a visceral reaction whenever I'm being nagged by someone about something, especially if it's not something that's very important to me or that isn't a top priority just right then and there. And Jesus gives us this little story about a nagging woman and a judge. And he gives us a brief description of each. Of each. The woman is wanting justice for something that has happened to her. And what it is, Jesus doesn't say. It could be a simple affair. Miriam over there stole five measures of flour from my kitchen. Make her repay me. Or perhaps it was something a little more complex when a trial is needed and witnesses are called. Like maybe my son was killed by those bandits and everyone knows it and that man there saw it. So give the justice that I demand for my son and for me. But the judge is an unjust judge. We all know the type. The judge is more interested in power and privilege. The office gives him a certain status. And rather than upholding the law or administering justice, he might every now and then take a bribe. Nothing too big, but a bribe. And who knows? Perhaps the bandits are paying him off to not bring him to trial. Yet, even though the chances of receiving justice are slim, the widow demands justice from the person charged with rendering it. Part of the image here is similar to our own courts of law. Imagine, if you will, an elderly woman, small in stature, perhaps with a walking stick, maybe even wearing a small little hat, coming up to a judge in his fine black robes, sitting behind a large bench on a dais, looming over her, and yet she's demanding, demanding that something be done about her case. It seems almost farcical. Yet eventually something stirs in this judge who admits that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't fear this woman, but the nagging of her complaint is enough to make him act. And so he does. He gives her justice. Now, justice is one of those tricky words that we have to be careful when we throw it around. Much like other words that convey some sort of civil expectation, freedom, rights, patriotism, or something that come to mind, justice, like some of these words, sometimes means something different to different people because of their perspective or their point of view. However, when we speak of the justice of God, which is where Jesus is pointing this parable, we realize that it is a different sort of justice. The justice that God mets out is perfect justice. There is not an unfair advantage for one party over another. One person cannot bribe God, but instead each person, each party is dealt with equally and fairly. This is why we ask for God's justice to come and to be among us 
This is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that phrase of our prayer is the inherent call for justice to be rendered. And it is through prayer that we make the petition for justice. And then this is where we need to be careful on several fronts. First is the thoughts and prayers argument. We all know the cliche, we hear it on the news. We offer our prayers on the behalf of whatever crisis of the day is occurring, and then we forget. We use our prayers as an excuse for inactivity. I've offered my prayers for you, and that's all I'm going to do for you even though you're cold and you need a coat today. Sometimes, this is what the world sees when they look at us as Christians. People who make pious prayers, who say all the right words, and then when we're there to finish the task, well, nothing happens. We move on to something more fun, more energizing. But we must also guard against action and doing something just for the sake of doing it without the proper work and support of prayer. Our culture has sometimes decided that a slapdash, do something now response is the best. And yes, sometimes it is necessary, like during a natural disaster where people's lives are on the line. But leaping before we think, or in this case, acting before we pray, before we pray is just as wrought with folly. So what does justice and prayer and the nagging woman and all of this mean in this parable? <clears throat> Jesus is telling us that prayer is essential in the work of Christians and that we should be moved as Christians with a concern for the justice of the world and that God will act and does act and hears our cries and our calls. God will act not just because we nag him, but because the cries of the church, the cries of you and me, move God. Another way to think about this is we actually participate in the justice of God by pleading the cries, pleading the anguish of this world, echoing their sounds up to heaven in what we pray. But sometimes the answers to the cries of justice in this world is not just prayer, but is indeed action on our own parts. It would be very hypocritical for us to pray for, let's say, peace in Ukraine, when we are literally at war with our neighbor about who needs to mow which bit of that strip of grass because we're not sure whose yard it's in or to not be at peace at the person who is suing you, or to not be at peace with the family member who stole part of your inheritance. It is rather two-faced to be prayed for the healing of one person and scoff at someone else because they're concerned that as winter approaches, the pandemic we have all come through might make a resurgence. It is against our Christian calling to pray for the poor and the homeless, 
those in any need or trouble, only then to refuse to give them assistance or a bed for the night or a job for the day. You see, although we think kind thoughts and say our prayers, we must also embody those prayers. That was the problem with the judge in the story. He stood in the place where justice should be given, except he's the one person who withheld justice. We are the people through whom the prayers of God ascend like incense. And yet if we do not live into the very things we are praying for, then what good are our prayers? When we do embody that life of prayer and action, then we become like the widow because it becomes our right not to ask, but to demand justice out of God, to demand it. We pray for this nation and for the president, for the Congress, but do we then tear them down with little social media posts that we, are, that we think are cute political swipes at them. It doesn't matter who our political leaders are. We are to pray for them to have wisdom and discernment. We pray for the unchurched, for those who have yet to believe the truth of the gospel. Yet when does our witness in this world draw others into Christ's love or give them hope Thank God hasn't abandoned them. We pray for creation in the natural world. But when do we actually go about performing our role as steward and caretaker of the world around us? We can't ask God to do something for us that we're not willing to do or to expect of others. Just as Jesus asked the question at the end of this passage, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? We need to also ask the question, will Jesus find a living faith in his church and among his people? We must remember that St. James in his epistle reminds us that faith without works is dead. In other words, doing the work of God the opus dei is a sign and a signal of our faith. How much easier is it to say, I'll pray for you and then never lift a finger? Rather, faith takes the bold step of saying, yes, I'll pray for you and I will help you and then be committed to do both. Think about some of the recorded events of history from just within the last century. How many people prayed for and worked for the fall of communism in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union? How many people prayed for and worked for the end of apartheid in South Africa? How many people prayed for and worked for the end of segregation in the United States. How many people have prayed for and worked for countless other wrongs that have been put to right?
be they great or small. So let me ask, what are you praying for? And then, what are you working for? Are you praying for peace in Ukraine, Iran, Sierra Leone, <clears throat> the United States? If so, then what are you doing that you feel the Spirit of God is leading to you to do? Are you praying for this nation, the state, the city? What are you doing or perhaps not doing as a result of your prayers? Are you praying for God to forgive you? then which of your enemies are you praying for and working with to build reconciliation? Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May he find us faithful, not only in the prayers of our lips, but also in the work of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.